What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 107 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk about our pre-show and pre-clinic rituals. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Jack Dijonet. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the Peisty Masters Thin Series. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions. As always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Yeah, buddy. Kind of in like a band <laughs> guy. Man, I, wish, I really wish we were doing a video podcast so people could see you right now. It's Brother. amazing. <laughs> I am the Unabomber. I am the Unabomber. So Mike is uh, wearing a Demo Day. So that's a fixer-upper hat. A I got my hat. Demo Day fixer-upper hat. <laughs> got some I got my sunglasses on. <laughs> Damn right. I am too cool for my own studio. And you're indoors with low light. <laughs> that is correct. My eyes have been dilated, and I am protecting my my baby blues. Oh, you know, uh, when you have baby blue eyes, they're more susceptible to things. You're supposed to wear sunglasses outside all the time when you have light eyes. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I, so, don't, I don't know that problem. So I've never had my eyes dilated. What, what were they checking for? Uh, that's just a way that they can do certain tests when you're getting your eye exam. Wow, um, never had that. Yeah, so so pretty much when you go and renew your contacts, they can they just say um, you know there's a few tests that they can do when your eyes are dilated, and uh, it's uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden you're just extremely sensitive to light for the next like three hours. So <laughs> they tried to give me those, you know, those grandma wraparound. Oh uh, yeah, blue blockers. Yeah, yeah buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I've got some Ray-Bans. We'll be fine. So, uh, so I'm rocking them now just only because I'm sitting in front of a, a bright white computer screen. So uh, Yeah, that's funny. Anyways, funny. so dude, let's get right into the good stuff. You had a clinic. I did, and it felt like it was like a, a year ago already. <laughs> <laughs> How was it, man? It went really well. I mean, I, I've kind of not allowed myself to overthink it and, and kind of hyperanalyze because when I do that, it just becomes a downward spiral. But Sure. I think it went great. We definitely I had some uh, some podcast listeners there, so it was awesome to oh, man, that's meet some awesome. people and that was super cool. So thanks you guys for coming out. Uh, it was pretty packed. They did they I know did there were some uh, uh, Mike's lesson students there. I saw them post about it. Yeah, yeah, that was it was cool. And some some old friends that that showed up, some drum makers from the area. It was really cool and it was it was packed enough to where once we got about 10 minutes in, everyone was sweating freaking bullets because there was no AC in the place. Of course. Of course not. <laughs> I Why mean, would there be like drum shop? I would looked over and like people had sweat pouring down their face. I'm like, all right, I'm not the only one that's hot here. This is like oh. insanely hot. Was it a hot day as well? It already? wasn't. It wasn't terribly hot, but I think you just okay. get you know 30, 40 people in a room breathing yep. together, and it just gets thick. But and how was, was how was the vibe? It was awesome. That's a great cool, shop. Man. So if you're ever in Philly, uh, Philadelphia Drum and Percussion, it's in Fishtown, which is a area that's kind of been revitalized lots of cool clubs and stuff um but the 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 uh the shop is awesome he had i think he had like 10 like boutique kits it was all all like hand selected boutique stuff some like one-offs from the nam show there was a q kit there that was really cool oh i ended up playing on a cnc kit with like a eggshell blue finish was awesome Uh, and snare of choice i used the matching snare i just what yeah the only thing i used was my i brought cymbals um, okay. And I, I had like a side snare that's kind of I need it for this one couple songs, so I brought that. But other than that, I just used what he had. I did. Uh, I should have went ahead and put my bass drum pedal on. That was the one piece of gear that I'm like I should have. I should have did that because it ended up 
ended up just getting screwy in the, in the chain kind of got janky oh no that's yeah. not good it was you know whatever I mean, I'm, I'm used to dealing with that but that's just a mental note like just take the extra five minutes put your pedal on make sure it's yeah. you know make sure it's right but yeah 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 it was cool I thought it went really well I definitely have some things I would modify um, you know I, I didn't video it but I've seen some clips and everything I felt I, I just came across cross comfortable which was cool because i'm not really nervous to speak in front of people i'm not terribly nervous to play but it was a really loud room okay so i get kind of self-conscious about playing drums by myself in a loud room with people like 10 feet away that right makes sure, me a course. little self-conscious but there's certain things in the presentation that that i i have a tendency to rush through stuff because i think people are going to get bored by the explanations mm-hmm. and things yeah 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 I'm like you know, I should just take a little bit more time and and not rush through it. But so when the clinic was over, and how long was your drive home? Uh, afterwards, it was it was hour and fifteen minutes or so. Okay. So on your drive home, did you want? Did you have a buzz to do more of these, or a buzz to do less of these, or did you just kind of have a feeling of you know what? If they call, I'm happy to do this, but this isn't my bag. Or, or which? What was your feeling afterwards? It's kind of the same feeling I have after every gig or every everything I do. It's like I want to do it again. I want to do it better. It was just immediate, awesome. you know. Like, yeah. like it just takes me back to playing sports. Like, man, I could have I could have just done that one thing a little bit better or something. Yeah. And I was I feel like I was prepared, but there's still always an extra step of you know what could I have? I, you know, I, I skipped yeah. over some stuff that I probably shouldn't have. It's just little things, little mental notes. But I think all in all, it went pretty smooth. Everyone seemed to have a good time. Um, aside from it being 8,000 degrees in there. But, you know, it was good. I would definitely do I mean, the more. real If you think about it, the real goal of a clinic is is to get everyone that's in attendance excited about playing their own drum set. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not trying to destroy their, their dreams. You're not trying to show them what's possible if they would have quit their jobs 30 years ago. You're trying yeah, yeah. to say, look, dude, we're all in this together. This instrument is so much fun when you when you stop hating yourself. Yeah, and so if you gave them that, then that's a win for the clinic. It's not there. You know, I've been to as many clinics as as I could attend, and never once have I compared like, oh, that that wasn't as um, drum wise as good as Todd Zuckerman or as Dave Weckl. Like, I, I really don't think like that. I just think like, am I jazzed to play my drum set or not? That's yeah. my judgment of a clinic. Um, so if you gave people that, which I think you did, judging from the response on the Mike's Lessons family page, I, I think you did do that. So congratulations, man. I can't yeah. wait to see what you do next. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I, it was, I don't play solos and I don't play a ton of notes. So there's a certain threshold of like, you know, are you going to be on this with me or not? And it was, it was very cool. And I actually had a great question from one guy. He asked, like, how do you deal with the fact that you kind of want to show off and you want to play more to be impressive? Like, what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. Like that's a great question, and my answer is record yourself and then be brutally honest when you listen back and say, "Is that the way you should play?" <laughs> you know? Yeah, does that yeah. really make sense? Well, <laughs> and I mean, don't you think that that answer would be different for every person? Like, yeah, that was I think my Steve yeah. Jordan and Vinnie Caliuta would have, or maybe Steve Jordan and Dave Weckl would have two different answers. Yeah, and they'd both be correct. It just I think that the key to all of this comes down to be honest. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, don't yeah. chase other people because you think that's what you're supposed to do. You know, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at Zach Hill's the best example of yeah. not chasing anyone. He's just yeah. on his own journey, man. And he's not and trying beautiful. to be impressive. That that was kind of my point. Was like, well, what's yeah. your intention? Are you trying to impress people? Or are you playing something that's actually appropriate or contributing to the the experience of the show? 
And the, every, you know, every gig's different. I mean, some gigs require you to go off, and I'm not the guy of who course. should be playing those gigs. Well, that's the other thing, too, is it's okay to not be the every drummer. Like, if somebody calls me and says, hey, I've got a session coming up on Wednesday for a country artist, I'm not taking the gig. It's like, man, that, that's just not my thing. I could maybe work myself into shape for that to fake that I was the guy to do that, you know, if you give me a month. But that's – you want somebody whose passion is doing that, you know, like you yeah. want a Shannon Forrest type person where – that's what they care about. You know, as far as being yourself, we'll get to this in a little bit when we hit our featured artists. But, man, watching Jack DeJanette play with Miles compared to Tony playing the same songs. Yeah. That yeah. really showed me somebody that wasn't chasing anyone. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. I want to save that till we get to Jack. But that's a perfect example of filling the biggest shoes in the world and not copying that person. Yeah, for sure. And, and what a so. game to step into. Yeah, 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 <laughs> oh goodness gracious well dude I'm, I'm stoked that you had a good time and, and i think everyone in attendance had a blast so I, I can't wait till you get your next clinic man yeah we'll see what happens i got a few kind of in the pipeline so we'll see cool buddy they get well i'm uh i'm seven camps down i got three more to go uh to the end you're in like yeah man the almost coming up on playoff season here <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> i've uh <laughs> i've got a wild card game uh starting next week and then I've got my uh, my AFC championship, and then I go or my NFC. I don't know where I am, but uh, anyways, yeah. So I'm excited. Uh, should be good, and, and I know that I get more and more amped towards the end of the camp season. I don't wear down. I get more and more excited just because I'm I'm holding on to like no, no. I, I love camp season, and yeah. then I go you know seven months without it, which is it's kind of nice. That's where I get to get my work done, um, get all the videos filmed and stuff. I have like that six month period of time before camp season starts again. So are you already planning the next year or do you kind of wait till this year's done and then regroup? It's, it's definitely, I would say every camp, it's just like you, as soon as the campers leave, I'm like, I could have done that so much better. I could have put more into it. I could have been more engaged. (laughs) Um, so I think one thing that I'm excited about in this next camp coming up is just trying a few educational things and seeing like, okay, how can I maximize this experience for these campers on a drum level? I know that the camp is almost on autopilot as far as maximizing the experience between the campers and the bonding and the friendship and all that. But I think that I can still do even better as far as teaching and really teaching on an individual level. That's the beauty of having eight campers is I do get to know their tendencies and the things they've ignored in their in their drumming and mm. I can really dial into that. So that's that's my goal of this camp coming up is to really get personal with it, take more notes than I normally do and and just start looking through the book and say, Okay, even though we're on this page, Alex, I want you on this page, on this number because it pertains to something that's missing in your drumming and let's do it, man. And so I want to get really, really deep with each each individual person so should be fun by the way had a, a great conversation with uh, andrew shreve at gretch today just moving forward with uh snare stuff cool and he's got some cool prototypes coming coming my way so i'll, I'll keep you posted on that Dig so, it. i'm really awesome. excited about that yeah like All right, you need well, more snare yeah. drums i mean seriously oh, oh, hey, hey no, hey no, <laughs> i'm hey one no. to talk but come on <laughs> exactly uh well i'm i'm trying to you know trying to find that that thing man that that one drum so we'll see uh uh, all right, well, let's get into pre-show rituals. <laughs> you got to call it a unicorn. <laughs> no. Five and a half by 14 unicorn snare. <laughs> by, no, I think I'm going to go with, uh, yeah, actually, maybe the unicorn is not too bad. That is not too bad. All right, so let's talk about pre-show rituals. I think that 
musicians are probably a little less superstitious than sports uh, than athletes. <clears throat> but still, there there's probably some. So I would call it rituals instead of you know superstitions and mm-hmm. stuff. But just things that you like to do to get loosened up before the gig, maybe physically and mentally. Um, all the way down to I can tell you right now, a meal is a big deal to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I do clinics. I have to speak on a microphone. So if I go for steak dinner with the company like they want me to before the clinic, an hour before, it's a rough time on the microphone. <laughs> <That's> uh, <funny. laughs> so so I'm very very careful when they you know because generally the store owners or or maybe your drum company they'll take you out to a nice restaurant right before you perform, and they all have their big you know fillets and I just go um, yeah I'll have the uh, halibut and. <laughs> um, just the piece of fish, nothing else. <laughs> as smooth as possible. I drink only water and I do my thing. So, uh, what about food? Do you do you consider nutrition like so that you don't get maybe dizzy on stage or get worn out? Um, yeah, yeah, I do, but I, I kind of adhere to like not changing my routine from a typical day because I don't want anything that's yeah. going to throw me off mentally or physically. Like sure, like last night I had a rehearsal and before that I ate uh, half of a chicken cheesesteak and I haven't had a chicken cheesesteak in months. And halfway through, I'm like, I got to go home. Like I just don't <laughs> feel right, you know. It's like I love this, it. like I just didn't want to be there. So that yeah. So that's definitely. I mean, you go especially clinics or gigs if you're on the road. Like you're in a new place and people want to try all this new food, and there might be some some catering that's not quite what you would normally eat. So I right. I stay away from like sandwiches and stuff. I just don't eat that stuff normally. So anything that's mm-hmm. going to just sit in my gut, I tend to just avoid. So like before the clinic, I had some shrimp. Like that was it. Nice. There you go. And I try not to eat right before. Some of the guys I play with will be like eating as we're walking on stage. I'm like, man, you're not going to have any like blood in your brain. It's all going to be in your gut. (laughs) I know. Yeah. I mean, that stuff's important to me. Like I'm, I travel with, with meal bars, with turkey jerky. Like I travel with enough stuff that if for some reason, I I don't want to expect that this place is going to take me out to dinner and I don't want to expect that we're walking distance from a restaurant. So I need to be on top of it. Like, okay, worst case scenario, I've got these bars, I've got this, um, and I've got, you know, my water, my tea. So, uh, so that stuff is important. I I think for me, the worst thing I can be on stage is really hungry. I actually, Hmm. I actually get dizzy, a little low blood sugar. And I'm just like, okay, this is not healthy for me. But the next worst is pizza. Like, yeah. then I'm just like, well, come to the clinic. You know, it's just not good at all. Okay, so we've got that. Now, what about the physical side? Are you yeah. warming up backstage on a pad? This has been kind of a big thing for me. I, I, I tend to not like to, like, warm up and freak out about playing up to the moment I go on stage. I know that's some people have that tactic of they'll just be on the pad and then they go straight to the stage and they they come out running. I don't like that. I think it just adds to the anxiety of the situation. Sure. So I tend to like to warm up, make sure I do my daily routine that I do every day regardless. So I know I've at least put in that time. I do like to spend a little bit extra time with the metronome or with the beatnik just to kind of make sure that I'm dialed in, my concentration is dialed in. But Usually, like the hour, you know, forty-five half hour before a gig. If if we're playing like a festival and there's other bands, I like to go out in the venue and just walk around and just kind of get the vibe of the place, the room. Yeah. How how does the PA sound? Uh, more kind of get used to the the atmosphere. That's not always the case. Sometimes you're frantic and you just have to get on stage and play. That's why I like to do my warm ups earlier in the day. Uh, 
the only thing I kind of do before the show is I like to just stretch my body out. That's been really important recently, just nice. to stretch my shoulders and neck and my back and my 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 thighs end up getting tight if I don't stretch. That's basically it, and I just try to just chill. Like I, I don't want to be like anxious, like oh my god, I didn't get all my rudiments in, and we got to go play like that. That would be the worst for me. Or or having yeah. like earbuds on and I'm like listening to the music like up until the last second. Like, all right, I, I really know the set. I'm ready to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I can't deal with that. But I think just physical stretch and then just trying to relax is the key for me. Just a couple nice. minutes of just of just chilling usually does it. The chill is good. You know, I, I have a, a little bit of a different approach, but I have to. It's almost like I have to max myself out and then have a cool off period and that's what creates my looseness so mm. there's you know a little i get my heart rate up with some jumping jacks um i when i play on the pad i'm really not blazing chops or anything like that i'm just kind of warming up the muscles um yeah and but i kind of get all of that going and i'm jumping around and i'm getting the blood flowing and everything and then it's about 20 minutes of nothing and, and that cool-off period creates this just overall looseness. Um, and then I'm constantly kind of mellowing out as it goes. I'm listening to happier and happier music, non-drum music. You know, I'm not listening to mm. anything with chops. I'm listening, to, I'm listening to songs that make me happy. Um, and, then, and then eventually it's, you know, it kind of tapers all the way down to like almost dead silence, you know, three minutes before I go on. And I'm just kind of relaxed. And then it's like, you know, I kind of feel, look, I know how to play drums. I know... Yeah. You know, yeah, the preparation is done. Yeah, it's done. There's nothing more I can do. Um, I think most of my pre-show rituals are honestly things that make the moments on stage better. So I, I'm really careful. Now, my moments on stage are, are generally different than yours as far as I'm playing and speaking. But, you know, I really map out the stage during sound check as far as, OK, I'm going to at some point want to take this microphone and walk out to the front of the stage. How long is the cable? Mm. Is there a, a monitor wedge right to the left of my hi-hat where I can't leave the kit that way? And then I've got my computer desk to my right and I can't leave that way. Like, what's my exit strategy? How do I get back on the kit? And by mapping those things out before I ever get out there to perform, it, it makes me just so much more relaxed because I know that I've really mapped out the situation. In live gigs, it was pretty similar. You know, I mean, I... I had my carpet always taped so that I knew where every stand went and I could yeah. set up really quick. And, you know, for the most part, I mean, even as a rock drummer, if it was low ceilings, I was swinging my hands as high as I could to find out, like, <laughs> am I going to hit a light? Am I going to hit something up there? Um, you know, I also want to know, do they have a canned light that's aimed right at the back of my neck uh, that's yeah. going to burn me throughout the whole night? So. <laughs> I, what I don't want is I don't want the stage show to be one ounce different than the sound check was. I don't want to get out there and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I didn't account for this and I didn't account for that. Yeah. So most of my pre-show ritual stuff is just that. It's it's going around the drum set, tightening every wing nut. Uh, it's going around the drum set and figuring out, okay, where are my extra sticks? I'm going to either break a stick or drop a stick at some point in this. Mm. Is it you know? And if I didn't bring my little vader stick caddy then i go and chop the top off of a water bottle and duct tape it to my hi-hat stand and boom i've got a stick caddy you know but i make sure that those are my main pre-show rituals it's not about like you know what chop builder did you do warming you know to warm up that you know once i heard weckl say that every warm-up of his is just double strokes from slow to fast i was like yeah this is i don't (laughs) need to play you know this cadence from marching band just to get ready so 
Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. I guess everyone has their own thing. What I don't like, the worst case scenario for me is to have a really kind of uninspiring green room and just sit in there mm. for like a half hour. Like, yeah, I don't want to do that. That's why I'll go out in the venue and just walk around, talk to the doorman, sure. talk to the sound guy, just kind of get out of that space. Because anytime I'm kind of like idle, that's when. You know, oh, all the guys yeah. in the band start getting agitated, and, and the half hour mm-hmm. feels like three hours. I'm like, I'll, I'll see you five minutes before showtime. I'm getting well. Out you know, of and here. then the the worst is then you start complaining about how long the band before you is going over their set time. Yeah, you start talking and crap. You're like, it's not. You're good, like, dude, yeah. isn't this like their eleventh song, <laughs> and it's really only their third? But you're like, God, they've been playing for. Wait, this is the same song they've played this one four times. <laughs> so yeah, I for clinics, I'm usually actually in the crowd, like sitting in you know the middle row, and just whoever sits next to me, we just start talking, and then yeah. I just kind of wait till they introduce me and walk on stage so i'd rather be doing that than like you said sitting back there idle like is it my time yet is it my time yet and just amping myself up in the worst way possible yeah the other thing too especially if you're going to do public speaking like you had to do i've just watched dry mouth bite so many people in the ass when they they go to speak and just nothing comes out so i'm well hydrated and i've got water near me at every point in time (laughs) and i also realize that people aren't expecting me to hit the last note and immediately just launch into this beautiful speech pattern. It's like I take a breath, I take a sip of water, I collect my thoughts, and then I start to speak. So it's you know it's important to slow things down and and be able to do this. But I think you know pre-show rituals are important, but they also aren't. It's like I said, it's it's not a superstition. It's not like well because I wore these socks that was a good show. It's like <laughs> no. Just relax. I think relaxing is probably a better pre-show ritual than hyping yourself up, you know, depending on the situation, of course. Yeah, I guess it depends on the gig. I mean, if, if if I was in any kind of band where the first song is the most intense, fastest, loudest thing, I'd probably be, a bit different. be more like a boxer. I'd want to be sweating before I go yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. I remember watching um, Alex Rudinger warm up, and it's, it's an hour. It's a full hour of just double bass chaos. And, <laughs> I mean, it's a hardcore warm-up, you know, and he does it every single – time he plays but but he comes out swinging you know yeah. um i i, I purposely kind of schedule my clinic to be like okay let's just this gets me playing the drums now we're warm then we speak and then it gets more and more intense until we finally hit our climax at the end which is when i'm fully the most loose and relaxed so yeah you know well let's talk about somebody that's played a few shows in his lifetime mr <laughs> jack dejanet um Jack DeJanet, for me, did not come on the scene as the great jazz drummer that he is. He came on the scene to me. I was 17 17 years old working at Drum and Guitar City in Sacramento, California, and we got this shipment of ugly, ugly cymbals in uh, by Sabian, (laughs) which, by the way, would be the top-selling cymbals in the world right now. I know, and those Uh, came out like 20-plus years ago. (laughs) It came out in, uh, I think, about 94, 95. I was a senior in high school. And I remember I was like, you know, I think I, if I can remember, this is all based off memory. I haven't looked it up, but I think the, like the signature and the logo and everything was like white, maybe on these ugly oh, symbols. Oh yeah. yeah, that's right. By They're the like way, gray, when I yeah. say ugly, what I'm saying is they look exactly like my current symbols from Minel. So right. I'm not dogging these out. I'm saying we were in a time where everyone was playing the most shiny, a custom, brilliant symbols. Everyone was buying chrome polish from their freaking car shop down the road to <laughs> shine up their symbols even more. And Jack came out with these raw, nasty symbols. And so that made me go, who the hell is this? And then I got into Jack DeJanet. And, uh, you know, he was, I guess for me, 
he was kind of like what Brian Blade is for me now. He was a different version of jazz. It, it was it was musical. It was tribal. It was uh, methodical. It, it was so different than what I had thought of jazz drumming. And I could really listen to him play by himself, and I felt there was music going on all the time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's a he's a great piano player too, and I think that comes across right. in his drumming. Yeah. Uh, and you know he's he's seventy five. He's on the cover of the new issue. If you haven't seen it yet, I think it's just out now. October issue. He's seventy five years old, and again, he's always bucking the trends. Sabian put out a new signature symbol of his, and it's brilliant finished. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it is. Twenty years later, it's amazing. Um, I mean, he's always like I, you know, against the grain. He's been that way his whole career, and I love it. He he loves to play abstract on the drums, and he doesn't apologize right. for it. I mean, he's been. Man. I still think of Jack as like the pinnacle of jazz drumming. Like we're still trying to reach his level of. of I don't think anyone has has done more. You know, taken it further than Jack. And he's is he not aging? I he's I just watched like current videos of him, and he looks great. Yeah, yeah. No, he's well. He's living up in Woodstock. I think just chilling. Okay, <laughs> chilling, chilling. Not being uh yeah, not being harassed by the world. Well, I mean. Yeah, so I was watching his stuff, and like what I talked about earlier was I, I watched a bunch of stuff with him and Miles, and I was watching you know milestones and footprints and stuff with Miles, and and just listening to the difference between Jack's style and Tony's style, you know, um, yeah, it, it it really, you know, I I don't know this because I don't know Brian Blade at all, but I'm, I'm assuming he must have a huge influence from Jack Dishnet because yeah. It just all of a sudden was so musical, um, and it wasn't this caged lion. It was more just this relaxed thing that I think actually fit. I, w- I would never say that anything fit Miles' style better than Tony Williams, but it fit Miles' style really well. Yeah. Um, the yeah. whole thing just had this mellow vibe to it, even though you know some of the, some of these tunes were burning. Um, but it was really cool to hear that and to see Jack playing with Miles. Yeah, I think he kind of he might even attribute it in an earlier story where he says he kind of was like an elvin jones and tony williams they were kind of his guys so you can kind of hear mm. he's got the flow the more kind of loose organic flow of elvin but the insane complexity of tony yeah and he's he's still my favorite jazz drummer it's it's is insane. he really that's cool yeah. man i mean i used to try to play like him when i had no business even coming close to playing that way because i mean his sense of time is is otherworldly did you ever see his dvd uh, musical yeah. expression on the drum set of course i think it's still available if not you can probably find clips of it but there's one section the whole the whole dvd is great but there's one section i watched a thousand times <laughs> where harvey sorgan is uh interviewing him and, and he does a bit where he just claps on two and four and then jack just plays and mm. the whole time he's just messing with harvey <laughs> just trying to get him to screw it up and i must have watched it a literally a thousand times and i've yet to be able to go through that segment and maintain the sense of the one like i just can't do it it's just so he's just blurring the bar lines but never loses it it's insane it's it's i mean really great and is you know he's played with everybody um you know so i was going through his uh discography and it was just kind of unreal what he has in his back i mean miles davis alone would be enough but yeah you know, you've got Michael Brecker, Herbie Hancock, Schofield, Freddie yeah. Hubbard, uh, Keith Jarrett, Bill Evans, obviously. I think so. He left Bill Evans' trio to to do the Miles Davis thing, and it's just like, man, 
Yeah, that, and that trio record. Crazy. I mean, I I love Bill Evans' trio stuff with with Paul Boshin and everybody else. But there's one live record. I think it's at Monterey or, or Montreux. I can't remember. But the one tree live trio record with Jack. It's I mean, he's pushing those guys. <laughs> he does a solo on the tune Nardis. It's a long solo, and at, at one point. It sounds like he hits a drinking glass and shatters it. Like there's just really? like this explosion of glass. I'm like, what did he hit? What the hell was? That? Awesome. I just pictured I him it. just playing, and he sees like a, a glass of water over there, and he just smashes it. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that stuck out to me when I was much younger was he one. I hadn't seen a jazz drummer play a full blown rock kit. You know, he mm-hmm. had two up, two down, but then he always had random toms stuck to the kit somewhere. Yeah, weird so, spots. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have like your two up configuration of a ten and a twelve, he would have, you know, or maybe he had twelve, thirteen. He'd have a ten stuck between the twelve and the thirteen, just like this weird yeah, like a cyclops triangle. thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then, and I'm like, wait, how does he get to that? And then, uh, or he would have like to the left of his hi hat, just an eight and a ten randomly and he he used them man and yeah. it was great and and that's that went all the way through i was watching some stuff with him uh doing pasic 2009 yeah and he still had great. just like at some point he hit something i'm like is there a drum down there and sure enough <laughs> yeah and that was when, i think that was when he had his tune bells or something over to the left so he had mm-hmm. that those sounds in the year i wasn't here at the magazine at the time but he played the, the modern drummer festival couple times but one year he was a last minute addition like someone just dropped out last minute oh wow and jack just happened to be in town but you know sonar just sent one of those jungle kits <laughs> and jack i don't Shut think jack up. had ever even seen it before so it's like, his, what's a jungle kit <laughs> his whole performance was essentially him figuring out this little tiny kit but wow. it's amazing and the you know the snares keep popping off on the snare and he's dealing with that and kind of creating you know little melodic ideas with that i mean it's to see him, because awesome. he can play for 45 minutes and it's riveting. That one in particular stuck with me because you can tell he's like, all right, I'm rediscovering this instrument with a crowd and let's just see what happens. Right. <laughs> Which is awesome. I mean, he's, he's a true artist. And yeah, like you mentioned earlier, uh, guys, when Mike said that he's a, a pianist or you know he plays piano, he's, he's a true pianist and a composer. So he when you watch him play piano, it's not... It's not like watching a drummer play piano. You realize immediately this dude started playing piano first. He played piano yeah. when he was four, and he's a true composer. And I watched a, bun- a bunch of interview footage, not of Jack, but of other people talking about him. And they were all talking about how much when he was the drummer for the leader, the leader's band grew and the leader grew as as an artist as well, being pushed by Jack um, yeah. as a musician and as a person. So I, I don't think there's any – bigger compliment you could give somebody that the drummer is inspiring the leader of the band to grow personally and musically um and so if you guys want to check out more about jack obviously you can youtube the hell out of him but you can also just go to jack dejanet um it's d-e-j-o-h-n-e-t-t-e jack dejanet.com and uh, you can check out his new album um and uh, yeah, I think it's, it's called, called Hudson. Yeah, Hudson Project. So he's it's a multi generational band. Who the heck's in the band? It's uh, Schofield, Modesky. Schofield, yeah, Modesky and uh, the bassist Grenadier. Larry Grenadier. And yeah. you know, the record is great and he still sounds as modern and as hip as, as ever. I was going to say, welcome to some backbeats because the dude's dropping backbeats on that thing. It's not just <laughs> swing. So um, 
you know, you can really hear how how musical his approach is. He's a, he's a beautiful drummer, and when you hear him speak, you just kind of wish, like, ah, how come that wasn't my uncle? That that's who should have been my uncle. Like, yeah, I want to go to Uncle Jack's house and just have story time and have him <laughs> tell me about Miles. Uh, t- beautiful man, beautiful drummer, and tons of stuff on his website, jackdejanet.com. Yeah. So check that out. If I could pick one record that I think every drummer should hear, whether you end up liking it or not, it's his solo album called Pictures. Mm. It's basically him improvising on drum set with just ambient textures and stuff. Okay. It's pretty amazing. That That's kind of, I think, the best version of Jack as an artist on drums. But then... And then again, that Bill Evans record, he was he was really young. He might have been still a teenager. That's a good one Jeez. to start with. And you can hear how he's nearly fully formed at that stage. But then there's there's like a golden era of like the late nineties when everyone was hiring him. So you could I think it's like Christian McBride's records and uh Michael Brecker records. To me that's like Jack at his I mean, he was killing it. He was on everybody's records during that time period. Wow. So yeah, lots of stuff. Really you just kinda can't go wrong. And the Keith Jarrett trio beautiful stuff if you can get over jared's grunting constantly <laughs> in the microphone but yeah other I than think. that and if you guys find any of those old old uh Dijonet signature sabians on ebay shoot me a link uh, yeah I, would, I wouldn't mind i remember hitting that ride i'd never heard uh, a dead ride before it just really? you know, i was 17 years old i'd only heard shiny amazingly brilliant things and all of a sudden i my stick hits it and it goes tink and that's Tim. what everybody's using now. <laughs> right? How crazy is that? Ah, drives me nuts, but it's awesome. All right, let's get into some candy. It is time to check out some symbols. These are the Peisty Masters Thin series. And uh, as a former Peisty artist, somebody that was with that company for 14 years, I got to say, damn. Yep. Wish they would have had these. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't They didn't screw up with these at all. <laughs> Duh. They got this one right. How did the Swiss get this? Like, dude, as soon as as soon as soon I heard them, I heard them from your demo, and I also checked them out on uh, memphisdrumshop.com. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and, man, they sound good. Yes, they do. Yep. So Goodness. they are, I would describe them. I, I think I might have alluded to these maybe a couple months ago when I had first testing them, but I kind of feel like they're the darker, more mature version of like the giant beats or the big beats. Like you've got the giant mm-hmm. beats, which is just symbols, big symbols, kind of bright, kind of classic rock. You've got the, the big beats that they came out with a couple of years ago, which is 2002 alloy, kind of complex, but still kind of in a more of a rock kind of a vibe. And these are like the, these are what the mature drummer wants. <laughs> Dark yeah. and smoky. You know what I what I thought was if you were playing Peisty, this is what you would play. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, I mean they just sounded they sounded beautiful when you played them. Um, and yeah, but they still are Peisty, right? They're not yeah. full yeah. Turkish. They're not like trashy and nasty. Somehow they're still beautiful, but they have that dark, smoky stick definition that you expect out of more Turkish made stuff. So pretty complex stuff. Well, before we talk about them more, let's uh, listen to them and give our listeners a chance to check them out. Thank you. 
So, we ready to get back into this? <laughs> Man, those are beautiful. Yeah, I, I had symbol. these. I had these in my possession right when I got hired to do a full record of a guy who said he wanted to sound like the seventies. Oh, I was like, all right, well, like, I'm just done. keeping these up. And I used what did I use? I used the sixteen inch hi hats on a lot of the stuff, which they really didn't sound as kind of odd and unconventional as you would think. They kind of just sounded like low pitched, beautiful hi hats. So I used the sixteens and fifteens on that. The fourteens are really th- kind of thin and kind of jazzy. So I would okay. kind of use those. They kind of had like a Papa Joe Jones kind of real papery kind of awesome sound. But when I was playing more kind of rock 70s vibe, it, it was a little bit too thin. The okay. 15s and 16s were gorgeous. And then the 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 uh, 20 and the 22-inch multi-purpose crash rides were kind of my go-to. I only used the 24 on a couple songs. It, it ended up actually being just too much cymbal. Okay. Uh, it kind of got into all the mics it wasn't a bad sound but it was like man that ride is everywhere so that's like a big boy that i would only use for certain things but the 22 and the 20 both could crash and they could ride the bell was great it's pretty beautiful but that 22 inch swish i'm gonna say that might be the best china i've ever played i mean really it was insane and i believe jim keltner kind of was the inspiration for that symbol which makes sense. Wow. I mean, it, it was just yeah. gorgeous. It didn't have any of the harsh kind of, like, I just don't use Chinas. And this was like, all right, I'm going to start using this because it sounds beautiful. <laughs> you know? Man, you even wrote on the website, the 22-inch Swish is the most musically satisfying China-type symbol I've ever played. I, I stand by it. I mean, I haven't played all the Chinas out there, but inevitably they either have a little bit of a harshness or they just kind of die out too quick. This was yeah. just, like, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And these are all out right now, right? Yep. Oh, awesome, man. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm going to take my little jealousy and I'm going to fold it into a little <laughs> little square and I'm going to put it in my pocket and then I'm going to sit on it. But uh, no, these are great, man. Um, I love seeing companies move forward with sound. And I think that Peisty has actually added something to their lineup here rather than bringing something back from the past, which I think is a great thing. Sometimes moving forward, it's it's tough. I mean, dude, these companies have been around for so long. What the yeah. hell else is there to do without being quirky or silly? This is not that. This is really moving the company forward and, and giving the fans of Peisty that want something slightly different, they're getting that, but they still get that that perfection, that Peisty yeah. perfection. So yeah. it's pretty amazing. Um, so just real quick to recap the the 20 and the 22 are kind of the way they do the big beat and the giant beat. They're just, they're just symbols, right? They're they all are. They all are. Crash. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's, so it's very similar. You're just buying sizes. Yeah. The, that's why I say the giant beat, it's just symbols. The big beat series is just symbols. And then these, so it's kind of like three, three kind of similar sets, but very different colors. You got the real kind Man. of bright light giant beats. You got the kind of sort of complex, but still kind of rocking big beats. And then these are just the warm kind of velvety, uh, version but they're all just big symbols you know awesome all. love it all right well you can go to peisty.com to check those out or you can <clears> check <throat> them out and you can check the video out of mike demoing these on moderndrummer.com and now it is time to get to some listener questions yes this is from oh jed uh Uh-oh. so i it said thanks amundo but it didn't say who's who it was from but it's from jed it says playing clubs and medium stages indoors and now i'm playing summer festivals um i guess outdoors Mm -hmm. so his what are your thoughts on tuning when outdoors with or without a decent pa to get a great sound and to feel comfortable when you're not getting the natural room ambience 
This is a great Man. question, and I dealt with this. The last festival gig I did, it was completely open air. There was no walls whatsoever. Oh, and I felt like I was like slugging through mud. Yeah, it was I know. Terrible. It's terrible. It was awful. The toms just. Were, I mean, I felt like I was going to punch through the drums. I couldn't get any sound out. And you of can't them. get anything out of them, no matter how hard you hit the kick. Nothing <laughs> happens. It's like hitting <laughs> yeah. a two by four. It, it sucks. It's the worst um, scenario, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, for me, I just kind of always chalked it up to this situation sucks. There's no reflection, um, but I but I didn't want to change my tuning to like you know well let me change it to a bop kit for this rock gig so that they project a little bit more um i definitely didn't want them you know at the time looser and and more sluggish than they already felt so i just kind of mentally had to make the switch like this is what it is yeah um and try not to hurt yourself you know because that was my big thing sound yeah you're only good it's yeah it is what it is and the other thing too is trusting front of house you know i always would go out and hear the other bands play and say okay it sounds fine out here it just sucks on stage um so i just always trusted front of house that it was going to be okay um or that it was going to be as good as it could be we were going to sound just like all the other bands and (laughs) no one in the crowd is going to be like you know, I really couldn't hear your 10-inch rack, Tom. So I figured we'll just get through it. So for me, it was just a mental thing. What about you? I will sometimes change the tuning uh, almost all the time just to kind of pull whatever extra bit of tone. Inevitably, it means just a little bit tighter on the toms, and maybe the front head of the bass drum needs to come up just a little bit. Snare drum, I generally just kind of leave it. It's generally kind of medium-low regardless anyway. Um, but I did learn a lesson when I interviewed Gil Sharon years ago. We were I was in a small rehearsal room with him, and he was shedding Dillinger Escape Plan tracks. Okay, and it was just kind of in passing because he he was using earplugs, and I was just asking about dynamics, like how do you you know maintain a because you're playing so hard with this band, how do you maintain a sense of control? And his tip was you know play your drums without earplugs in for a while and memorize what it feels like in your body, and then put the earplugs in and don't change it. And I think yeah. that's similar to playing outdoors. It's like you know what it feels like to play your drums. Don't and to push play with this band. It. Yeah, right? don't push beyond that threshold because you're not going to get anything good out of that. You're just going to hurt yourself or get frustrated. You're so going to hurt yourself, and you're also going to kill the drums. Like they actually start making less noise and less volume when yeah. you hit them that hard. So you start squashing them, especially the cymbals. They just go. Psh- yeah, they're gone, and you're never going to get more sound out of it. So I think just trusting that your dynamics are consistent, and it's just tough. I think just experience yeah. too, just knowing that it's going to. When there's no walls around you, you're not going to get any sound. <laughs> Good right. luck. Pretty much. <laughs> there you go. Crank the kick drum in your monitor if you can. I guess. <laughs> uh, next one is from. Um, oh, that was Jed. We already did Jed. David. Um, I'm a gigging drummer and I've been trying to take my musicianship to the next level so whenever I have a chance to listen to music I listen to music that is either for musical growth like Miles Davis or something that I have to learn for the gig Uh, my friend asked me what albums have you been listening to the only answer I could give him was Milestones and a Metronome my question is do you ever find yourself so invested in music as a pursuit that listening to music for pleasure falls by the wayside and oh, when there's so much music for you to listen to as part of your job, he's wondering, am I missing out on uh, by not finding the music that I just enjoy? Yes, I'm so with you, David. So with you, man. I, I went through probably a good five or six years uh, that I just had to take a break from listening to music because I just did it so much. And then when I left the touring world, it seemed like everything on the radio was somebody that I had just been out on the road with. Or somebody that was an opener for us, and now they're 
blowing up on the radio. So it was like emotionally tough to deal with. And I just kind of got into the podcast zone and drumming by myself. So yeah, David, I, I know what you're talking about. And then I, I, I don't know what it was. I can't remember what song it was, but at some point some song came on the radio. Um, and I just thought, man, I like that cause I like it. Because yeah. the drums are cool, or you know, I remember uh, even the first time I heard Royals by Lord, and no one had ever heard of Lord. This was like college radio station type stuff, and I was like, that might be the coolest song I've ever heard. You know, I didn't yeah. know it was going to get to the point where I was like, I don't ever want to hear that again. <laughs> but at the time, I was like, okay, music is great, and so yeah, I started falling in love with music all over again, and now I try to have a balance. So my balance, David, just on a personal level. I'm playing drums, you know, six to eight hours a day. A lot of it is with music. I can only handle so much music in a day. So my morning, that's that's general listening. We have the Sonos system throughout our house, and I just kind of will ask the wife, like, what are you feeling? And the cool thing is the things that she picks that are very – she's not a musician. The things that she picks are sometimes the things that put me in the best mood because – there's no homework to listening to Taylor Swift or right. Pink or whatever. And it's always Pandora because I want it to be finding new artists for me. But, you know, uh, so sometimes it's that. Sometimes Last night it was dinner in the backyard and I brought out the Sono speaker and just chose reggae. And, it, you know, and it was mm-hmm. like, cool. I feel like I'm in an island. Everything's <laughs> good. So, so I try to make that kind of listening very casual and just enjoy the ambiance of life with music and make music become the soundtrack to my life. And then, yeah, unfortunately, there are times where music is just homework. You know, not unfortunately, but it's just a very different switch for your brain to make. Yeah. I mean, my my trick is I try to find something that's inspiring, even in the stuff I have to learn for gigs that I would never otherwise listen to. Like I, okay. I wouldn't for pleasure put on a I don't know Carrie Underwood song, but then when I have to right. learn it, I'm like, dang, there's a lot of layers of stuff in here that I I sure. need to figure out. So that's kind of a little trick I play with myself is just try to find. Oh gosh, double entendres. Hey, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I, I didn't even get that uh, one. I'm so I'm so bummed at myself that I didn't pick up on that oh, one. I almost threw up on myself as soon as it came yeah. out. Oh god! Anyway, Whoa, keep, keep going, Atta boy. <laughs> Look at you, man. You're making anyway, the Unabomber happy. So what was I saying? So yeah, music. Oh, uh, and also, what I I have a turntable at home. So if I go to put a record on, there's mm-hmm. no way I can analyze it. I'm not going to sit yeah. there and move the needle back. So if I put a Bob Marley record on my turntable, that's like. I'm just listening to it. I'm not going to yeah. be freaking out. And then the other thing I do at night, as I'm kind of chilling out, getting ready to go to bed, I'll put something on that I've never listened to before, maybe some ambient music or like experimental nice. electronic music or just something that just shifts my, my thinking. Um, but I think you just can't – you don't want to abandon that because I think if you're not enjoying music for pleasure, then why are you playing music <laughs> ultimately? That's a tough thing, man. <laughs> I mean, trust me, it's a, it's a battle that more people go through than I think we, we know. Uh, podcasts have been a huge help for me. Like it gives yeah. me a break. Um, and then at some point I can only listen – You know, the way – David, the way you feel about music right now, if you go all podcasts, eventually you're like, I can only hear people speak for so freaking long. Can I just right. have a song? Like and 107 then, hours then, of two nerdy drummers talking. <laughs> well, you know, I, I consider us the exception because we put a little bit of sound in there because you got to hear those Pisces. That was true, musical. True. Um, so, yeah, just know that what you're going through is pretty normal. And just like the Tide Buddy, it comes in and goes out. So just ride the wave when it's in and don't freak out when it's out. Cool. All right. We'll see. I'm going to pick, um, I got one from, I guess it's Aaron, A-R-O-N. Um, he's from Iceland. I don't know how you pronounce that in English, but Aaron, I assume. 
says, I find myself overwhelmed by the amount of drumming material and ideas available. Um, almost every week you guys mention a new topic which I want to try out and work on. It feels like I'm just scratching the surface before moving on to other ideas. What are your thoughts on making practice plans for topics to work on, and how do you keep track of that progress? Man, such an individual pursuit for sure. The the key, Aaron, is understanding that everything that Mike and I are talking about is a collective between the two of us over 60 years of experience and and things that we've practiced. And when we casually mention a double stroke role. That's really two years of my life. That that's all I really kind of focused on was trying to get a clean double stroke role while yeah. jamming and having fun. But my focus was I wanted a clean double stroke role. But we just kind of. But that was back when I was you know a teenager or maybe a kid. So now we just casually throw it out like it's no big deal. But it is a big deal. So try not to overwhelm yourself with how much stuff is out there. Pick something specific that you want to be great at, and just try to ignore the rest of the world while you're getting great at that. And don't get distracted, you know, and keep keep track of that progress through BPM and through recording yourself and listening back. Yeah. And it'll be a year down the road, but you'll be like, damn, my Samba sounds kind of legit. It's like, yeah. cool. Yeah, you won't cool, notice man. it until you look back. And this was actually the main theme of my entire clinic was like uh, being cautious of thinking of drumming and your practice of drumming as the way we learn arithmetic. Like you, mm-hmm. you learn one plus one is two, and then you move on to one times one is one, and then all of a sudden you're doing calculus, and you kind of never go back to the one plus one. Like that's always right. two. We got that. But in drumming, one plus one is your single stroke roll. You can always – I mean the way you play a single stroke roll when you're in your first year versus your 10th year versus your 20th year, so right. different. So I caution against just trying to take in too much stuff and just, just focus on what's really important, which is singles and doubles and your time awareness and things and subdivisions and always revisit that. So yeah, if my only practice consists of working on my single strokes and my time and my double strokes the rest of my life, I think I'm still going to progress because those are going to get better and better and everything I play is going to be cleaner and more deliberate and more musical, even though I don't, I'm not practicing the latest chop or the latest lick that'll never be part of my vocabulary, but I can play eighth notes and I can play 16th notes (laughs) and I can play all the subdivisions with better control and a better sound. So just be cautious of that. Like you're on a a linear timeline of like to be good, I have to play complex stuff. I don't think that's in, in any way accurate. I agree. And I think we have this, you know, social media, is feeding into this thing that's creating a bunch of information hoarders, but people are hoarding all this information but not doing anything with it. And it's like, man, if you just had one great piece of information and you really cultivated it and you really put in your time, it would unlock so many doors for you. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if you had great singles, great doubles, and good time, you now have every chop that's ever been invented. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I mean, it's like, dude, you don't, you know, I think the fundamentals are going to be the new chops of the next five years because everybody's going to eventually rebel against just this, this, you know, barrage of information that's getting us nowhere and going to realize, okay, well, I've never seen Steve Jordan do that. And I've never seen Steve Gadd do that. And I've never seen this guy do that. And so maybe I don't need all that stuff, you know? And, and the guys uh, the guys that we consider legends, they're constantly revisiting their fundamentals. I mean, the right? only way that, that Weckl and Vinny and Steve Smith can play that crazy stuff and not have it sound like, you know, 
drums rolling down a staircase is because they have ultimate control of their fundamentals. It's clear. Absolutely. It's deliberate. They're not just playing licks. Dave Desenzo, do you see that? There's a video on his Facebook page that should be my pick of the week where he's just demonstrating one chunk of his book where he takes a simple sticking. I think it's four singles, a kick drum, two singles, and another kick drum uh-huh. as 32nd notes. He plays that on beat four, and then he plays it on the E of four, and then resolves on the E of one. And it's like, you don't need any more licks, man. Just right. do that. Just explore what you already know and just really digest it. And he talks about the shape and the dynamic. I mean, that when I saw that, I'm like, there it is. That's exactly it. That's a simple pattern, relatively speaking. You probably could get it right. under control if you have a few years of playing experience. But can you start that lick on the E and have it sound convincing? Can you start that lick right. on the uh? Um, so right. I think it's it's always. And do you know just where it refining. resolves? Are you able to keep track of time as yeah. it's passing the one? Yeah, or do exactly. you shorten it because you're like, well, the one is the one, and so yeah, I think that that's the key. And I I know for even as an educator, that is my battle, which I'm fighting right now, and I'm trying to resolve this. Is how on mikeslessons.com with thousands of students do I tell everybody? Slow down, please. I know that you have all this information open to you, and I know that you trust me as your educator, so you think that all the information is valid. But the reason why there's so much information is because all of you are so different. But it doesn't mean that all of you should learn all of this. It yeah. means that all of you should learn some of this. <laughs> and um, Everyone should learn I'm, a double-stroke roll. Let's just right, say well, that. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Maybe that's, I mean, that's a really – maybe that is the next step is like, hey – Here's the fundamentals course. I can't, no matter what style you want to do, I can't get you out of these ones. You know, if you have these down, it'll really open up the world to you. So awesome. Well, guys, thanks so much for your questions. Keep sending those in to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We appreciate your questions. And while you're at it, if you can, please give our podcast a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to it and uh, a little review. That helps other drummers find this podcast as well. So, um, all right, it is time for picks of the week. You want me to go first or you want to go first? You go first because now I'm torn. Yeah, yeah, you go first. Okay. Uh, these fine sunglasses by Ray-Ban. Uh, <laughs> <no>. um, <laughs> my pick of the week is a podcast, and it has been one that is really um, – I don't know. I just I've really enjoyed it. I don't know how to explain it. It might be one of the most boring podcasts ever, but it's riveting to me. So uh, the podcast is called Tech Stuff. Um, there's a – umbrella company called how stuff works and uh they put out this podcast so tech stuff is a podcast about the tech industry and how the tech industry works and sometimes it's very specific like how microprocessors work or Mm. how um uh you know i'm trying to think what what are those things that are accelerometers you know in in your phone how those things work Mm. but the, the thing that I really love is he does these huge three-part episodes. So you're talking about three hours here. Three-part episodes on the history of different companies. So the history of Intel, the history of mm. Samsung, the history of not Apple, but the history of the Macintosh. And, I mean, this stuff is, for me, it, I, I love knowing about, like, I don't know how Samsung started. I have no idea that it was, like, Ming Dynasty stuff, you know? Um, <laughs> didn't, their, didn't their CEO just, like, get forced to resign for some shady stuff? You have no idea how shady that company is. <laughs> like, no idea. Whatever you think of of Game of Thrones, the company Samsung is that times seven. There's a good chance I won't live to see tomorrow now that I've said that. But I'm That's telling you. wearing like, them sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going into witness protection tomorrow. I'm telling you, like, 
it will you'll be like that's not real that couldn't happen it's like no it happened samsung is crazy um but so yeah uh the history of intel like vacuum tubes into into transistors like how did all that happen mm-hmm. I'm, get, I'm getting sweaty just talking about it. i get so excited about this stuff <laughs> so anyways check out the podcast tech stuff uh the host jonathan is is very mellow well-spoken and does his research to a level that is quite uh, i'm quite envious of so tech stuff dig it mine is vic firth just put up a i think it just put it up today today's the 31st yep so yesterday, if you're listening to this on Friday, they just put up a priority access eight-minute video with Steve Jordan while like a day on the road with John Mayer. Uh, and you know, there's, there's so little content of Steve that anytime anything comes out, I'm like obsessing over it. And what I what I like it the first time through was not only to get to hear him play and just kind of talk about his career and everything, but they show his drums that he's using with John Mayer, which I think is oh, just nice. super cool to see what what tape is he using what pattern of tape is he using which drums is he taking out with him um, which drum is he using on this song i mean it's it's super cool so that one i love that he's walking through the hotel with yeah. his snare drum with a snare drum and with no case <laughs> with no case yeah i love it it's it is, just yeah. like dude what a stud yeah it's, um, it's really neat and so it, i he's got like a custom-made craviato drum yamaha stuff i mean it's He's just awesome, so I can't I can't get enough of him. So it's called Priority Access Steve Jordan parentheses with John Mayer. Um, yep, just check out Vic Firth's channel and you will find it. It is their newest video. He's the giant. He's the man. He's the man. All right, buddy. Well, uh, episode one hundred and seven in the books. It is, and we are under an hour. Maybe that Peisty has to be long. I don't know. Then <laughs> <laughs> just play the whole clip, man. The whole clip. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, have an amazing week. Congrats again on the clinic. And uh, I will talk to you next week. All right. Later, bye.